Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 330, air date August 9th, 2018. Right Side Broadcasting Network. I'm your anchor, Alyssa Ash, and I'm actually here with Dr. Shiva Ayadore, who is running for Senate in Massachusetts to unseat Elizabeth Warren. Hey, Dr. Shiva, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having us. Good. Thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate you coming on the show and excited to dig into some issues that you're passionate about. Great. So first, I want to start out um, asking, are you running as an independent or a Republican in Massachusetts? Well, you know, first of all, Massachusetts, nearly 60 percent of people here are independents. The Republican Party is irrelevant uh, in Massachusetts. There's actually only one party in Massachusetts, the Democrat Party, and they have two faces. One's called Democrat, the other's called Republican, but they're just Democrats. So we gave the Republicans a shot. In fact, I never voted in my life before until Trump ran, first guy I voted for, because I thought it was a necessary disruption. Trump, by the way, you know, anyone intelligent will know he's not a Republican or a Democrat. He's an independent. Um, I, I was invited to the inauguration, then decided to run as a Republican in Massachusetts. Uh, and we were getting standing ovations wherever we went. But the Republican Party is in cahoots with Elizabeth Warren and the Democrats. They want this never Trump or Charlie Baker to keep his seat as governor. And then Elizabeth Warren gets to keep her seat as senator. That's the racket that's going on. In fact, the three other Republicans that they're running, consider this. One of them gave $300,000 to Bill Clinton's speaking fees. Another guy, as campaign manager as a Saudi lobbyist, voted for Joe Biden. And the other woman ran the lottery. I'm the only one, uh, I would say, is a quote-unquote true Republican, but that's why we're running as independents. There's no party of Lincoln in this state. They're all uh, part of the Massachusetts sewer, which feeds the Washington swamp. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying that. And would you say, despite, you know, running as an independent, you still hold some conservative values and issues that you support? Yeah. I mean, I just got the endorsement of Sheriff Joe Arpaio. If you, uh, Sheriff Joe, his only crime was that he enforced immigration rules. You know, I came from India as a legal immigrant. And I think without secure borders, without, uh, you know, legal immigration, you don't have a country anymore. So, when we define conservative, let's define it. And for me, it's defined as the following way. It's the essence of what this country is about, right? Which is about rule of law and meritocracy. You know, many people come from other countries here because their countries are massively corrupt. They have no rule of law. And it's not about how hard you work. It's about were you born into a certain family? Like in India has a caste system. We were considered untouchables or deplorables, right? Um, and there's no sense of law. And so that to me is the definition of quote unquote conservative. And the problem is we have people who are on the Republican side and the Democrat side, definitely the Democrat side, who claim that they're conservatives, but they don't even follow the rules of meritocracy. They don't want uh, a guy from India who's a legal immigrant, went to the public school systems, played baseball, you know, mowed lawns, 
uh, got four degrees from MIT, started you know seven companies, thousands of jobs. They don't want a guy like that uh, participating in their rigged system. Yet the quote unquote Republicans claim they stand for meritocracy. So, yeah. So I think if conservatism is about working hard, uh, committing to excellence, following laws, uh, that's what I am. Definitely. And wanted to kind of talk about this towards the beginning of our interview. Something really interesting um, people may not know about you is that you invented email. So can you expand on that a little bit and tell me how that developed? Yeah. So the invention of email, which I did as a 14-year-old kid, I would say is the epitome of the American dream. It's, it's really the spirit of America. You see, the, the, the nonsense narrative uh, that we busted up when my stuff went into the Smithsonian about six years ago was people were bamboozled to think that text messaging was email and the military industrial academic complex, which we call the deep state, had conflated that they were the inventors of email. But here are the facts. Um, you know, I came in uh, from India in 1970, uh, settled in New Jersey. By the time I was 14, Alyssa, I had completed calculus um, and uh, got an opportunity to go to NYU in a special computer science program graduated top of the class and started working full-time after that at Rut what is now known as Rutgers Medical School in the heart of Newark, New Jersey, primarily African-American, uh, you know, a city, very poor. But there was a, a great mentor there who gave me the opportunity to convert the old-fashioned inter-office mail system. I don't know if you remember this. Anyone over the age of 40 remembers this. Every, there was always a secretary in organizations who had a desktop. She had a typewriter. She had the inbox, a physical box, a physical outbox. Underneath her was a, a trash can, paper clips, and she'd write this thing called a memo, which was to, from, subject with a carbon copy, where you literally had carbon paper. And this was called a memo. So if you were going to hire someone, you'd write this cover letter, you'd attach your resume, and you'd forward it to different people. And this is how collaboration took place. I was asked to convert that entire system, Alyssa, to the electronic version, which no one had done. In fact, the technically elite at the time thought it was impossible, primarily because they thought it would be very difficult to create a user-friendly system for a secretary to use because they diminished women in those days significantly that women could not use a computer. So that's what I did, wrote 50,000 lines of code to have every feature we see in modern email systems, and I called it email, a term never used before in the English language. Subsequent to that in 1981 when I attended MIT, the president of MIT said, Shiva, it's too bad you can't patent software, you should copyright it. Because in 1980, the Copyright Act of 19, the Software Act of 1980 was passed, which allowed you to use copyright law to protect software inventions. That's what I did, um, you know. And it wasn't simply putting a C with a circle. You had to send in all your code. It was a very arduous process. On August 30th, 1982, an American kid was issued the first U.S. copyright for email, recognizing me as the inventor of email. Now, I didn't make money on that because the copyright laws don't protect ideas. This is the problem with people in Washington who don't know. Uh, engineering or science, right? Patents should have been allowed. It was only 1994 where patents allowed, which protect ideas. So, mm -hmm. but anyway, I made a ton of money doing many other things. I didn't need the fame or fortune off email. But in 2012, Alyssa, all my documents, when my mom was dying, she'd saved them in a beautiful suitcase. And Time Magazine, people can look this up, wrote an article called The Man Who Invented Email. The technology editor, Doug Ameth, three months later, the Smithsonian honored me, accepted all my materials into the Smithsonian, and that's when the proverbial SH, you know, asterisk T hit the fan, mm -hmm. because you had all of these white liberal racists, and I want to characterize them, these were the elite in academia who had already written the narrative on email that it came from the military. Why? Because they want to promote war. 
that, you know, we give our taxes and shouldn't we be happy we got email? It wasn't done by the military. At best, they did a rudimentary form of text messaging. So when my stuff went in the Smithsonian, it was like a new skull had been found in Africa and people unleashed all this hate on the internet, calling me a fraud, all sorts of names. Uh, Gawker Media, which you may know, um, um, elicited this kind of stuff, wrote three horrible articles, which in fact, wrote, has someone else said this curry stained Indian should be beaten and hanged. And again, all of these people are white liberals who claim they want to help the darkie like me. But for God's sake, if someone like me actually goes out of their bounds and does something not in their plantation, they get really, really upset because email wasn't invented at MIT and MIT is a great school. It was done before I came to MIT. So anyway, uh, four years later, we sued Gawker Media. Um, I was the second person to sue them after Hulk Hogan did. We took them down. I was appointed. All the three articles were forced to come down because free speech doesn't support defamation or libel. And so it was a huge victory. I got about a million dollars out of it. But yes, a 14-year-old American kid invented email. It wasn't done by the military industrial complex. And by the way, a 14-year-old boy is the one who invented TV in Franklin, Idaho. You so, so you see, I think the bottom line is that um, we don't need to go to big universities, big corporations, and have the military in our lives to innovate. That's a lie. The truth is everyday people are constantly innovating, and the elites want to take that truth away, and they want to shove down our throat a false narrative. Yeah. Now, do you still have the seven tech companies? Yeah. So the first, so believe it or not, the first company I did was in 1993. Um, you know, I also have a degree in art and design. We did one of the first companies to do web development called Millennium Productions. And then we did another company to put online communities, which we, we, we call social media communities. So we put the first artist community online called Arts Online. I wrote one of the first earliest book called Arts on the Internet. Um, and then the next company I did was called Echo Mail, where we actually analyzed email for the White House. Believe it or not, I couldn't get away from email. I won a contest to analyze Clinton's email. That grew into a company, an AI company, which uh, I made a lot of money, but then I kept the rights for small business. You can still see we're relaunching it for small businesses called Echo Mail. The third company, I'm, uh, the, the fourth company I'm running right now is called Systems Health, which integrates Eastern and Western medicine. And another big company we're doing right now uh, is called Cytosolve, which literally models molecular pathways on the computer, eliminating the need for animal testing. For example, we discovered a drug for pancreatic cancer without killing animals, which got FDA allowance. So now we're going after every major disease. I think the key thing is, Alyssa, is I don't need to be running for U.S. Senate. Mm -hmm. All of these other politicians are either lawyer lobbies or career politicians. They have no skills. They basically profit from being career politicians. And for me, this is about serving the country in the spirit of our founders who were uh, blacksmiths and engineers and scientists and doctors, right? And they came to serve and they went back because they actually had a life. They didn't need to do politics to create their lives or to live off of. Definitely. So what led you to run? Well, in, in, in addition to being an inventor and a scientist, I've always been uh, interested in politics. Why? Because I grew up when I was a young child in India, which had a caste system where we were considered deplorables or untouchables. So that started my interest in understanding political history. When I came to MIT, there's a picture of me, for example, you know, I organized um, uh, students to make sure more women, more minorities, more poor whites could come to MIT. Um, there's a picture of me organizing food service workers so they could get a better wage. I've always felt that at, at minimum, the American dream should be accessible to all people. There's a picture of me burning the South African flag on the steps of MIT as an 18-year-old kid because MIT was talking all this liberal nonsense, yet they were investing and in supporting racism there. 
Um, I, I did some of the earliest research exposing Monsanto's scientific fraud and exposed a lot of scientists. So for me, this has been a natural process. But when Trump ran, and here's a guy who came from the outside, was attacking the mainstream media, was attacking the Republican establishment and Democrat establishment, that's when I decided to vote, which I never thought I'd do because I didn't like either party. And then I, it was just a natural uh, set of things and particularly seeing, uh, recognizing that the deep state actually has a longitude and latitude and that's Cambridge, Massachusetts. So why not, you know, knock out the real sewer or the epicenter of the deep state, which, which is Harvard University, which is basically, if you take where our office is, a couple of blocks down between that and MIT. And that's where the real fraud takes place. The fake, the fake news is not just CNN. CNN is not that smart. They really get all their fake news from academia, the elites, because the elites publish all their stuff in things called journals. And journalists don't do any journalism anymore. They just literally cut and copy. So our view is that the American Revolution started, you know, took place in Massachusetts. And what better place to have the second American Revolution to support what Trump is doing than right here? And I think I'm the perfect person for it because I'm a full embodiment of the spirit of America, which is sort of the logo of Massachusetts. You know, inventor, scientist, a worker, an illegal immigrant. What better person to represent the state? Definitely. It's so awesome that you have all those qualities. And speaking of the president, do you think it would be beneficial if President Trump got involved in your campaign, possibly endorsed you? Well, you know, uh, the president has already, if, if you actually look at it, he's been signaling his support for us in various ways. You know, he's caught between a rock and a hard place because he won this election. He's literally in a swamp. Think about it. You know, he had to endorse Romney. Here's a guy who was one of his arch nemesis, right, who said all sorts of things. So why would Trump endorse someone like Romney? Because I think he has to probably play some games with the RNC. So in Massachusetts, what we know is that I sent three DNA test kits to Elizabeth Warren, all of them she refused. I offered her my $10 million building in Cambridge if she would take the test. And by the way, also proved that she was against uh, that GMOs actually have safety standards. You know, she's been a big proponent. She voted yay to protect Monsanto. She didn't take my offer. Two days after that, Donald Trump Jr. offered her 10,000. And a week after that, President Trump offered a million. So, you know, to us, he clearly knows what's going on here. He knows we're the only ones hitting hard. He clearly knows uh, of, of the Republican swamp here. I mean, he had one of the Republican quote unquote guys, Republicans, uh, take, do a Photoshop picture, Alyssa, shaking hands with him. And this guy's promoting himself as a Trumper. So, you know, Massachusetts is known for innovation, right? But the modern innovation of the sewer here is to innovate what we call the fake Trumper. And the fake Trumper exists now all of the Republicans who one of them stole data from Trump, one of them Photoshop pictures, the other one was mocking Trump. They're all suddenly become Trumpers. Why? Because one million people voted for Trump in Massachusetts, less than, and only 20% of that vote, 200,000 were Republicans. 80% of that was independents. So they want to suck back the independents who are basically anti-establishment against the deep state, against the military industrial complex. They want to bring them back into the Republican establishment. So this is the thing that people need to be alerted to, that the Trump movement, the Trump loyalists were basically voting against the swamp of the establishment. They weren't supporting the Republican Party. So what the Republican Party is doing is now waving the flag of Trump to bring all those independent-minded people back into the Republican fold by using mm -hmm. fake Trumpers. 
Definitely. And, you know, I was kind of going through your website, seeing some issues that you're more passionate about. So I wanted to ask you, um, why are you passionate about the First Amendment? And can you tell me about the controversial bus that you had? Uh, yeah. So the First Amendment, you know, the pen is mightier than the sword, right? So the Second Amendment is a sword. The First Amendment is the pen. And um, if you, you know, um, as a technologist, as think about what email is. More people write email. Email is ultimately the modern sword, right? It's the pen. And so as the guy who invented email, I have a deep appreciation for communication, theoretically as well as practically. I've written widely about this. Um, in fact, there's a book I just wrote, you guys, you know, it's called The Future of Email. And I talk about where we are with the First Amendment and communications today. For example, um, one of the things I, I emphasize is when the founders of this country, particularly Franklin, created the Postal Service, um, which is an amazing institution, by the way, which was that I could send you a letter, Alyssa, and no one could interfere with it for like pennies, right? And if anyone did, they could be thrown in jail for 20 years, all right? Fast forward to 1997. Um, I met with the Postal Service and I said, you know what? You guys should offer a free email or a public email service where people pay 50 bucks. You'll make a lot of money. But right now, Hotmail, Yahoo, Gmail, they are creating a situation where they can control communication because, you know, they gave us these free email services, right? Very few Americans read those privacy notices. They're like 100 pages long, which basically say they own your email. They can monitor it. The Postal Service thought it was a stupid idea. They said, we're in the print mail business. And that's the problem with bureaucrats. Um, they're nowhere near the innovators of Franklin. So, uh, so now fast forward to today. You just said Alex Jones, right? Yesterday getting banned. Facebook and Google and Apple completely colluded to take out someone. And if you think about the mainstay of those companies, it's messaging, right? Apple controls a hardware where email messaging takes place, right? Google controls a platform for messaging and Facebook also has a messaging platform. You see what I'm saying? My view is that the postal service should offer a public uh, platform that maybe we pay 50 bucks, right? But it's protected by the laws of the United States which means that if anyone interferes, it's a 20 year life sentence. That's the only way out of this. We're not gonna be able to um, you know, legislate private companies don't throw us off because they're a private company. So yes, we can try the antitrust, but the ultimate institution that needs to be revived, in my view, is that the Postal Service needs to become the 21st century Postal Service, which provides the platform for free communication because the laws exist for that. And the founders thought about it. That's why I'm a big proponent of the First Amendment, but the First Amendment needs to be brought to the 21st century. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And you said you talked to the post office about this. And in 1997, when I was running my company, and they said, you know, we're bigger than Walmart. What do we what do you know about the Postal Service? Uh, in 2011, when they were going bankrupt, and you can find this, I wrote a, a scathing article saying if you had followed what I told you, you could you guys could be making billions. And then the inspector general of the post office contacted me. And he gave me about 100K to do a commission report. And I said the same thing. Here are ways that the Postal Service can do stuff. And yet they've done nothing. Right? So the bottom line is that we as Americans need to demand the right framework to ensure that our First Amendment rights are protected. And it's not going to come through Google and Facebook. It's not going to come through them. It's a pipe dream to think that. The, the Postal Service um, is the only existing framework, unless we create something new, that can provide us that platform. So I know that you just held a town hall meeting last night about real healthcare. Can you expand on that a little bit? 
and tell me about the message you delivered. Yeah, I think the key message we delivered is that uh, neither Republican or Democrat has really addressed the issue what real health means. And for us, real health is really getting down to the fact that food is medicine, that you need to lower the cost of healthcare, and we don't have enough primary care physicians um, you know, uh, directly helping people. So let me explain that. Um, Monsanto, for example, as a company, has polluted the entire food supply of this country. Elizabeth Warren voted for the Monsanto Protection Act. For those of you who don't know what Monsanto is, Monsanto was a company um, in the 60s with Dow, which created a chemical called Agent Orange, which was used to defoliate jungles as an herbicide in, um, in Vietnam. After the war ended, um, Monsanto retooled that same, uh, same quote-unquote technology to drop pesticides from the air for factory farming. Factory farming is very different than local organic farms. 80% of Americans, rich or poor, black or white, want you know, locally grown, fresh organic produce. Today, only a very few number of people can afford that. So, uh, and we know that food is medicine, right? So what you are, what you eat. So none of the healthcare debate, Alyssa, ever focuses on that. It's been a passion of my life. You know, it's been, you know, I have a PhD from MIT uh, in a department that was originally known as the Department of Food and Nutrition Science. So uh, uh, part of the whole real health piece is, um, you know, uh, disincentivizing companies or incentivizing more local farmers uh, and not big agriculture. Elizabeth Warren supports big ag, we support local. The second piece of this is we need to lower the cost of healthcare. One of the most insidious parts of the healthcare uh, aspect, which again, Republicans and Democrats do not talk about, is what's known as GPOs, group purchasing organizations, which essentially artificially inflate the costs by half a trillion dollars uh, from, uh, for drugs. So for example, a $12 generic is selling for $32,000 because between the supplier of the creator, the manufacturer of the drug, to the, by the time it comes to one of us, there are all of these in-between people known as G, uh, in-between people. GPOs are the ones who modulate those contracts. And they were given in the 90s to get what are called kickbacks. So which means they actually give kickbacks to hospital administrators, vacations, you, you, you know, you should, people should go research this. And it's not something that's widely talked about, but first thing is we need to pass legislation to outlaw GPO kickbacks. The third piece is we don't produce enough primary care physicians. Since Obamacare Affordable Health or Romney Care was put into effect, we've lost nearly 250,000 primary care physicians. Um, so one of my goals is we need to eliminate the four-year college need, uh, need to go to medical school. You should be able to go right from high school to medical school. Many other countries do that. You lower the burden of debt on doctors, and therefore you make it easier for them um, to go be primary care physicians, right? Versus having this massive loan, and they got to join big hospitals. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And what do you have your doctorate in? So my doctorate is in what's called biological engineering. It's the it's a 21st century uh, uh, new department that MIT started. So you have what's called chemical engineering is to chemistry, biological engineering is to biology. As we probe the genome, as we understand molecular mechanisms, how can we use that for health and well-being? That's what bi biological engineering is. Um, in fact, I spun out a company on that called Cytosolve, C-Y-T-O-S-O-L-V-E, Cytosolve, like email. If email was the electronic version of office communications, Cytosolve is the electronic version of molecular system communications. Literally, we're able to model diseases on the computer, molecular mechanisms, and we're using that to test ingredients and compounds long before we waste our time in test tube 
um, uh, testing or killing animals. And we're solving the problem way up front. So Cytosolve, you know, it's, it's worth a couple of billion dollars. Uh, it's, it's an exciting company. It's radically going to change the face of medicine. Yes, yes, that's, that's so fantastic. fantastic. Thank, Thank you for sharing. sharing. And sure. did you say that you also have a rally for free speech this coming Friday? Yeah, so um, several uh, weeks ago on July 22nd, we went to an Elizabeth Warren quote-unquote town hall. Her, her town halls aren't really town halls. They're all rigged, staged events where, um, you know, only certain people are allowed in, only certain questions are done. So she had one in Western Mass, which is known as a liberal haven of a lot of bourgeois white liberals who show up, by the way, all white. And they were there talking about how they're going to help the poor blacks. And right. Uh, they never talk about poor whites, because if you do that, then you're a white supremacist. So anyway, they were lining up to go into the auditorium across the way, um, 200 feet away. The police had helped us organize our rally. And I encouraged those people to come over and have a discussion with us on race. Um, you see, the, the Democrats believe they own racism. And the way they own it is tell people not to use certain words or change the names and articles defining what racism is. And yet they never talk about the real racists who are the people like Elizabeth Warren who use affirmative action to get into universities like Harvard when she had no right to even get a job there. They're the ones who create race war. Um, one group calling itself the right points at poor blacks and the other group calling itself the left points at you know uh, poor uh, uh, whites calling them rednecks. You follow what I'm saying? But mm -hmm. the issue of race is never addressed. They want race war. So one a party gets access to black votes and the other party gets access to poor white votes. And the way to really resolve that, in my view, is real jobs. And President Trump has done a lot in that direction. In Massachusetts, by the way, for every 17 skilled job openings, only one person is skilled, which means we don't produce enough um, qualified uh, skilled labor. We don't produce enough engineers. We don't produce enough doctors. We don't produce enough uh, blacksmith, I mean, not blacksmith, plumbers, uh, electricians, actual skilled labor. We produce a lot of people are getting these degrees which have no value and, and then they're burdened with student loans. So if we want to solve racism, let's put a couple of Votex schools in every inner city. That's what we should do, where people learn actual skills. And, neither, and, and by the way, the average net worth of, of a black person in Boston miles away from Elizabeth Warren's mansion is $8. And no one speaks about the plight of poor whites whose infant mortality rate is explosively growing, who are, have the highest opioid addiction rates three times the national average in Massachusetts. So if we wanna really bring America together, we have to point out who the real racists are and they're, they're the people who wear their robes out of Harvard University and Elizabeth Warren's one of them. So we have a huge rally planned, uh, which is called Racist Elizabeth Warren because she sent one of her henchmen when I was calling them out to punch me in the face with my megaphone. The guy was fortunately arrested. We're gonna go after him, but th this is our poster. It says racist Elizabeth Warren attacks free speech. Um, and we're asking everyone, let's call out the real racists. You know, mm -hmm. I think for far too long, a lot of people have been called racist when they're not the racist. The real racist is El Elizabeth Warren. Definitely, and I was gonna ask you about that. I saw it on your Twitter. And I watched the video, it was just a crazy scene. Can you break it down for me? What happened when her supporter yeah. actually attacked you? Yeah, in fact, there's a video out there, but we also put clips of the video on our poster so people don't have mm -hmm. access to video. But basically, as people are lining up to go in, um, mm -hmm. uh, there's a long form, which where I, I said, hey, look, you guys are part of the baby boomer generation. Some of you protested in the 60s. 
you know, why don't you come over here and have a conversation about race instead of going to a nice air conditioned room, listening to Elizabeth Warren who knows nothing about race. None of them, what's fascinating is none of them took our cards or flyers. You know, we never get that uh, non-take rate, you know? Mm -hmm. so anyway, uh, I, so since they didn't do that, I started giving my opinion on racism. I said, look, Elizabeth Warren is a racist. She used affirmative action to get into Harvard, right? To get her job there. She's a racist. She pits blacks against whites. You know, the $8, we had one poster which said $8 is the net worth of an average black person. And then I said, we don't produce enough engineers. We don't produce mm -hmm. enough doctors. What we do produce is scumbag lawyer lobbyists like Elizabeth Warren. And by the way, for me, the term scumbag is a technical term. It's actually a, a term from waste engineering. If you look at a septic tank, it's a scum that floats on the top and you put it in a bag. So mm -hmm. I don't consider it a negative term. It's a very technical term, but that's what these people are. So this guy you can see in the video, he's across the street. And it's fascinating, he's got a t-shirt that says liberal on it, Alyssa. The back of it says Democrat. He starts twisting his umbrella, walks over to me, and starts calling me a racist. And then he says, you're not black. As though, you know, if I were a black person, you know, then he would not have attacked me. Maybe he didn't like it, but the fact that an Indian guy was being too honest because maybe he thinks Indian people should just sit in their lotus position, do a yoga pose, right, and tilt their head. That we're not supposed to call people like him out. So he takes his fist and he punches it into the microphone. I chipped two teeth and it, you can hear the knock. First, I thought it was a simple thing. Uh, you know, I had to, uh, you know, I'm in treatment for whiplash and also mm -hmm. I know I may have to get a root canal. But that, and, but the fascinating thing is, if you look at the picture, it says liberal and he's a, a white guy with liberal punching a dark skinned Indian guy, right? Now if that uh, was a Trump t-shirt, it would be on the front page of the New York Times. Hollywood people would be flying in to Trump Towers, right? Mm -hmm. To protest, they'd be candlelight vigils. But the point is, a dark-skinned American cannot call out a white liberal. And we're not gonna stop. That's why we're hosting this rally, because we need to have a discussion of race in this country. It's the number most two important thing in the Gallup polls. First is governance, second is race. But the Republicans and Democrats have both owned it, and they both split this country up. Let's talk about race. Let's talk about the real racists. And the real racists are the people out of Harvard University. Which, by the way, Harvard University is a $40 billion hedge fund, which profits from every major economic collapse you can trace to an expert at Harvard. Harvard is a fake university. 30% of the admissions in there are based on legacy admissions. You don't have to be that smart to go to Harvard, but it's who you know. So, you know, they have their nice branding, their brick and their ivy. And I think Harvard University, they talk about, you know, a lot of these experts say we should rename buildings. I think we should rename Harvard University Indian College. If you look at the history of Harvard, in the 1640s, it was going to go bankrupt. They went to some Christian missionaries and had them give them money to bail them out. And, and under the pretense, they were going to build a Indian college. Well, they only graduated four Indians, Native Americans, and the rest of the money went into the Harvard University printing press. That's where they um, put it. So Harvard has a history of just lying and stealing from minorities. So let them pay reparations. They so want to pay reparations, let them do it. So that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about real racists, which is um, Elizabeth Warren and the Republicrats of Massachusetts, all of them who come out of Harvard University. Mm -hmm. And if you're able to secure this seat in the Senate, what are some immediate changes you would try to make? Yeah, so the first thing is... Um, you know, we need to discuss term limits and voter IDs because the reason the swamp exists is they don't have term limits. People, this is supposed to be a service. You're, frankly, you shouldn't even take money for this job because it's an honor, right? It's a charitable service you're doing. 
Why do you need $180,000? You join the club, you get benefits. These people make a lot of money. Uh, how did Diane Feinstein make $80 million? You know, these people contribute nothing. So first of all, we need term limits. Second is we need voter IDs. It's, it's, it's a formula for scamming everyone against democracy. Second thing is we need to go after these group purchasing organizations and end GPO kickbacks. Elizabeth Warren doesn't want to end it. And we need to shut down uh, companies like Monsanto and incentivize local farms. The average age of a farmer in the United States is 65 years old. And farming and organic food is one of the most profitable businesses. You want to make money, go start a local organic farm. There's, we don't have enough supply. Food is a $4.7 trillion business. When it comes to the jobs aspect, I want to give small businesses significant tax credits if they mentor and they do apprenticeships. Um, we need to really uh, take young people and mentor them. I learned how to program as a 14-year-old kid. It didn't come out of high school. It didn't come out of MIT. It was before I came there. It was because I had a good mentor and I was given an, uh, an opportunity to excel and do a job. People learn by working. You don't learn by sitting in a lecture hall. And that's what the elites have convinced us. They sit on this podium and they lecture down to us. That's not where you learn. You learn by doing. So um, I want to really give small businesses tax credits. And we should tax fairly. We should tax Harvard University, which is, as I mentioned, is a $40 billion hedge fund. They make billions in profit, and yet they hide under their shield of, as, as a nonprofit. They don't pay a penny. If we tax them at the standard capital gains rate of 20 25%, that will be close to $2 billion, which we can use to fund Votex schools. So I say tax the hell out of these uh, universities, which are shielded uh, while they're basically running uh, casinos. They trade on Wall Street, they make money, they pay their hedge fund managers. Harvard pay their he hedge fund manager nearly $58 million, six of them. It's not a university, it's a hedge fund. Yeah. And is there anything else you wanna add? Yeah, I do. Yeah. And when can they get out and vote? Yeah, the most important thing we want to add is we are, by the way, the first ones on the ballot. Um, and we got on the ballot in Massachusetts. You need to collect 10,000 signatures. We collected nearly 25,000, all done by volunteers, Alyssa, not one paid signature. All the other candidates pay people or they have a party infrastructure of people that they do favors for, right, through their Republican town committees. That's how all of them collect their signatures. This is a truly a groundswell movement. So the way anyone can help is see this thing right here? It's a magnetic sign, which says only the real Indian can defeat the fake Indian. You can go up online, all made in America for 15 bucks. You go online and you buy two of these and you put them on the side of your car. And we're recognizing people aren't political hacks. They don't have time sometimes to volunteer, but put these on your car and make your car a political weapon. So as you're driving around, you'll reach about a half a million people. So that's one clear thing we need people to do. Go onto our site and volunteer. Um, you know, we're going to win. Uh, they're going to raise 50, 40, 30 million dollars. There's no reason for that kind of money. What it is, it's a racket. They raise money and then they give it to their buddies in the media. They give it to their political consultants and none of it really goes to any working people. It's all an insider game. You don't need this kind of money to win. You only need it if you don't have a message, if you have to pummel people with TV advertising. But we are the only ones who've made this race interesting. So people should go to shivaforsenate.com sign up to volunteer if you want to give us money great but more importantly action don't be in the audience start participating get these road warrior signs be a road warrior that's what we need i could ask you for a lot of money but i'm not going to do that if people can give us money great but we need action we need people to participate that's worth more than money definitely and it's shiva number four 
Senate.com. And above all, everyone should remember this important truth. Only a real Indian can defeat the fake Indian. That's good. Yes, I love that. Thank you so much, Dr. Adore. It's been so great learning from you, um, just hearing, you know, what you're really passionate about. And good luck. Thank you. Thanks, Alyssa. Be well. Yeah. Thank you. Have a great one. Have a great one. You too.